People love to discuss and debate about the greatest of all time in all kinds of different categories. In this series called The Greatest, we're talking about Jesus as the greatest man to walk the earth, his greatest commandment to us, and what living your life that way looks like. We hope you enjoy this series from Apex students called The Greatest, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little more like Jesus. Have you ever noticed that people will start to look like their pets? What? Have you ever seen that? Does that sound weird? You don't believe me? I'll prove it. Check this out. This is probably this is one of my favorites. <laughs> I just wonder if the man started to groom his hair more like his dog, or if he started to do- groom his dog more like his hair. That's the question. All right, who's next? Is that you? <laughs> it's not me yet. Uh, we've got mustache cat guy. That's a great mustache on that cat. And a great mustache on that guy, too. That's the goal. If you are curious about Pastor Chris's facial hair goals, this is it. All right? Who's next? This is a good one. Another one. Did she put a shirt on that dog? That's wrong. My dog would never wear sunglasses. I don't believe it. All right. Who else? Shaggy dog. All right. This is like senior picks. Senior picks dog edition. <laughs> All right, the next one, I don't, know, I don't know if this man's Russian or not, but I just assume that he is, right? And also, they don't actually look alike, but at the same time, they do. Do you know what I mean by that? I don't know what, like, they don't, like, have similar features, but, but they're, right, they're, like, making the same face. It's weird. I'm uncomfortable with it. All right, now, this next one is great, too. I wonder if they're, like, oh, he matches the dog. Let's get a picture taken. Or if they're like, all right, time to get your picture taken. <laughs> you got to match the dog. Hold still. <laughs> That's wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. What's next? I think there's more. Yes. Classic. Uh, that's a cheap shot, I know, but I accept it. So people just start to look like their pets. And actually for me and my dog Daisy, it happened automatically. And I can prove that as well. Instantly, I looked just like, that's puppy Daisy there. Uh, she's a lot bigger than that now. But I did not like intentionally wear the same clothes as Daisy that day, but it happened. Coincidence? Maybe. Maybe not. So apparently, um, there's some signs to back this up, guys. So don't think that I'm just making this up. Apparently, we tend to like dogs that look like people in our family. That's science. The people that, dogs that, that represent our family members we are attracted to. Also, there is um, research that we pick animals that have the same personality as us, which makes sense, right? Um, I know that we did that with our cat um, at first. Like, we looked for a cat that had similar personalities, but when she got alone, she got way grumpier, and I hope now that we are nothing like the cat. <laughs> but you start to look like your pets, and you, you are... You are gravitated toward pets that share your personality. And if we do this with pets, it's just natural that we would do this with people too, right? It's just natural that this would extend to the people that we surround ourselves with. We gravitate toward people who are like us, who act like us, who have similar personalities and beliefs, people that listen to the same music, that go to the same parties, that shop at the same stores, that play the same sports, that like or dislike the same people. Um, A really popular one is people that have the same sense of humor. Like for me, huge in making friends. Like, if you laugh at my jokes, we're good. <laughs> and vice versa. Like, people are attracted to people that laugh at the same things. And there's nothing wrong with this. Like, this is a, like a normal person thing to do. 
uh, we just naturally gravitate toward people who are like us. And of course, the opposite is true as well, right? We naturally distance ourselves. uh, We tend to naturally distance ourselves from people who are different. We avoid them. Sometimes we steer clear of those people on purpose, but sometimes it just happens, right? You just create distance from people who are different than you. After all, it can get awkward when you like can't talk to somebody because you don't have any common interests, right? It's just a natural thing that happens. Uh, If someone thinks or dresses or believes a certain way, um, it's just not you. We can create this natural distance. So think about this. I want you to think about who that person is for you or who that group of people is for you. Maybe you are more likely to distance yourself from the wealthy kids at school or the poor kids at school or in the neighborhood. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's your sister. Maybe you distance yourselves from the popular kids at your school or the jocks or the nerds or the goody two-shoeses. Maybe you distance yourselves from those people or the people that get in tri- trouble all the time. You keep your distance from those people or the people who are just partying all the time. Maybe you distance yourself from the religious kids or you uh, distance yourself from the non-religious kids at school or in your community, in your neighborhood, whatever. The list goes on and on. Basically, without realizing it, we create categories for people and we put people into categories quickly. Our brain works so fast and we just categorize people and we make all kinds of assumptions about them. And we tend to hang out with people who are in the same categories as us and we tend to stay away from the people who are in different categories. So it's like we put people in these two buckets. We put people into the we bucket and the they bucket, two buckets. We hang out with the we people And uh, we don't hate the they people. We don't hate them. They're just different than us. And and being around people who don't understand you can be difficult. So why not just stick to the people that get us? Stick to the we people. If the people who are they don't quite understand us, we just are more comfortable with our we people. So most of us would never admit, admit to this truth. But sometimes when we're categorizing people like this, something deeper happens. And we don't always mean for it to happen, but sometimes um, it goes from we are different from they to we are better than they. Sometimes it just happens, and we don't really mean for that to happen, but in our brain, we, we not only categorize we and they, but we put we above they. We put ourselves above people that are different than us. And unfortunately, this can be especially true for the people in the church. Think about it this, um, Have you ever thought that not liking certain people would be the Christian thing to do? Have you ever thought that that someone who is different, you should put distance between you and them because that's what the the Christian thing to do would be? Maybe you feel that way when a they person has a different faith or has no faith or or can't seem to walk out their own faith. Maybe at those points, you, you separate yourself And sometimes put ourselves above those people. Doesn't it feel good at times? If you put yourself above other people, I'm not going to pretend that that doesn't feel good. It happens. It just feels good to look down on people. And I know that sounds really bad, but it's true. I think if we're honest, we'd admit that. Now, that may be harsh, so we're going to look at it a different way. Have you ever been told by a Christian leader that the best thing you can do is stay away from people who don't believe or act like you? Because I have. After all, friends who make bad choices are bad influences, right? And to a certain extent, that's certainly true. And I don't want you to get confused because that can be true. 
But are we better followers of Jesus because we're keeping our distance from certain people? Is putting space between we and they really what God wants for us? Tonight, we're going to look at one of the records of Jesus' life. Uh, it was written by a man named John, and this, his, his record is in the New Testament. And John is one of the guys who actually walked with Jesus. This man actually knew and hung out with Jesus. They knew each other. And John wrote down his eyewitness account of Jesus' life, and we call it now the book of John. So John recorded one of the most famous events in Jesus' life. And if you're a church person, you've probably heard of this preached on a billion times. Even in this room, you've probably heard it preached a dozen times. Um, this is when Jesus talked with the Samaritan woman at a local well. And you guys know what context clues are? Are you familiar with that word? So like, if you don't know like a word, you can look at the surrounding sentence and kind of assume what the word means. So that's what a context clue is. Um, well, the Bible is full of context clues. Uh, and not just using like a sentence to learn a word, but using the Bible as a whole uh, and using history and events and culture of the time to, to decipher some of the confusing details or to figure out some certain things or to learn more about what the Bible's saying because of the context clues uh, with the Bible as a whole. So we're going to look. I'll show you what I mean here in a minute. But first, we're going to read John 4, verses 4 through 8. This is what it says. He, being Jesus, he had to go through Samaria on the way. He was on his way to Galilee, in case you're wondering. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Now here are a few things, a few context clues, um, so that you can get the whole picture of what's going on here. Jesus was in a surprising place. He was headed to Galilee, and on the way, he went through this village in Samaria. Now, there are big problems between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people at this time. They have racial tension that goes way, way back. Jesus is Jewish, his followers are Jewish, and they're walking through Samaria. And on an average day, a Jewish person would do anything they could to avoid walking through Samaria. They would walk around Samaria, so they never had to interact with a Samaritan person. Jesus changed that a little bit. The second thing here is that Jesus was talking to a surprising person. Now, this woman was surprising in a lot of ways. There's some huge culture things going on here. I'm going to lay them out for you. In this culture, men didn't talk to women in public. It sounds super weird to us because you've done it a hundred times today. (laughs) But at this time, the ancient Near East, the culture, men just didn't talk to women in public. It didn't happen. Not just that, but Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And a rabbi would never, ever, ever talk to a woman. So that made it even worse. You just don't do that. On top of that, she was a Samaritan woman. And a Jewish person, a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish man, would never talk to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. That's the triple no-no. But wait, there's more. The, The Bible points out here that it's noon when he passes by the well and sees this woman there. And it's odd for a woman to be at the well at noon. There is a time of day before the sun comes up that the well is a bustling place. He couldn't have just strolled through because every single woman in the village would be at the well getting their water for the day. That was well time. Before the sun came up, before it was hot, that's when everybody went to get their water from the well. This woman was at the well at noon, which is like the hottest part of the day. Super odd. And the reason that we can surmise from from biblical context and what we know about this time was that she was coming to the well at noon 
to avoid everyone else. She didn't want to be at the well when everyone else was at the well because she didn't want to see anyone. Or maybe they made her come to the well at a different time. They, they bullied her out of coming to the well with everyone else. Um, no matter what the reason, she was at the well so that she didn't have to be with other people. This tells us she was an outcast. She was uh, socially discarded by the rest of the people in this village. She was isolated, and she had a bad reputation. This woman had a bad reputation. So we've got this Jewish rabbi man talking to the Samaritan woman with a scandalous history. That should not happen. Jesus was in a surprising place talking to a surprising person. But Jesus didn't let any of this stop him from having this conversation. It was so important to him. So he went out of his way to hang out with the outcast. Leave it to Jesus to respect someone who everyone else in the world felt like wasn't deserving of respect. So it was surprising that Jesus even talked to her, but it's even more surprising what Jesus said to her. So this is in John 4, 13 through 14. Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And the woman's like, give me that. Yes, please. I'd love to never. She's not quite getting it. He's talking in like a metaphor. He doesn't actually have magic water. Um, But Jesus is, uh, they talk back and forth a little bit. And Jesus eventually says, all right, go get your husband and come back here. Over the next few verses, we remember, oh, right, Jesus knows everything. And he knows that this woman doesn't have a husband. He also knows that this woman had five husbands. And she was married to five different men, and at the time she was living with a, a sixth who wasn't her husband. She had a scandalous history. And despite these circumstances and the reputation that this woman had earned because of the way she lived her life, because of the choices she made, Jesus continues to talk to her. This woman is wildly different, living a wildly different life than the one that Jesus was living, but he still chose to talk to her. So they talk about theology, they talk about worship, they talk about water, they talk about the Messiah. And then Jesus told her something really radical in John 4, 26. He said, then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And so these people at this time knew of the Jewish scriptures. They knew that there was a Messiah coming that was going to be the savior of all, that was going to change everything. And Jesus is like, hey, remember that? It's me. I'm the guy. I'm the God guy. That's going, to be, that's going to change everything about the way you worship, about the way you connect with God. I'm the one who's going to change everything. Now, it doesn't sound crazy to you. Um, if you know anything about Jesus, then you know that we as a church believe that that's true, that he was the Messiah. But at this point in history, he had like done some miracles, but he hadn't proven that he was the Messiah yet. So he was making a really crazy claim. And this was actually like the first time he said this out loud. Like he had done some things that like suggested he was the Messiah, but the first time that he says, I am the Messiah, he says it to a Samaritan woman. Really, really interesting. It was a really shocking thing for him to say. But before he declared this truth to anyone else, he told a woman who he was and what he meant to the world. And I think it's just so cool that he, re- he revealed himself to an outcast woman of a different race in a place he shouldn't have been, a person he shouldn't have been talking to. Only Jesus would do something radical like that. So after leaving this this shocking conversation, um, the Samaritan woman did exactly what Jesus had empowered her to do, and she went into her village and told everybody about this God-man who had water that's going to make you never thirst again. But she started to understand, because he was the Messiah, that he was talking about eternal life. What happens next is also amazing, um, in verses 39 through 42. 
Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. This woman was looked down on by almost everybody. And then she became one of the first people in the entire world to spread the message of Jesus into parts of the world that hadn't heard that message yet, that didn't know who the Savior was yet. She was the one that God chose to use to do that the first time. And that's so amazing. So just to recap, a woman who most people avoided, who was someone that Jesus moved toward and talked to and inspired to be more than anyone thought she could ever be. And her entire village was never the same because of how God used her. Like we've already mentioned, this, Jesus' conversation with this woman broke a lot of cultural rules. A man, a rabbi man, talked to one to a, to a woman who was a Samaritan and with a scandalous reputation. And this woman was the one he entrusted with the message to change the world. And this is what Jesus did to connect with this woman. He moved her out of a category and into a conversation. And this is the big idea for tonight as well. We need to follow Jesus' example and we need to move people from a category to a conversation. We talked earlier about how we are so quick to categorize people. And if they get, end up in the wrong category, we, we just distance ourselves from them. And Jesus walked into this village and said, I'm not going to do that with you. You are in all kinds of categories that mean I should never talk to you. But I'm not going to let that stop me because you are capable of so much more. Jesus moved her from a category into a conversation. And by doing this, Jesus showed the world that he believed something different about her than they did. And it changed everything for her, and it changed everything for the people around her. It changed everything for that village. Jesus knew that his message, the message he was about to share with this woman, was more than just another conversation. It was bigger than life-changing. It was history-shaking. And I think that's why John thought to include it here in his, his eyewitness account of Jesus' life, because no one would believe this if he hadn't written it down. Because it's so countercultural, so unexpected, and no one would have believed it. Because it's human nature to keep distance from people who are different than us. Keep distance from people who are in the they category. Unlike Jesus, we tend to live putting people in the categories instead of having conversations. We tend to make assumptions about people instead of getting to know people. We think we know a lot about the they people, but we don't know or talk to any of the they people. We just claim to know them. And because we don't know them, we keep our distance. And that's why this interaction that Jesus had is such a big deal. Jesus is showing us how to interact with people who are in the they category. Jesus walked right up to a person who was completely different than him and treated her with value and respect. And that was a big deal because she wasn't getting that from anyone else. He even trusted her to convey this huge world-changing message because Jesus didn't buy into the idea that her category made her unworthy of his time or attention. He wasn't buying it. Now here's what I think this means for you and me. And this is especially true if you consider yourself a Christian, if you consider yourself a Jesus follower. We have to follow Jesus' example here 
and treat people the same way that he treated people. And if you're not a Jesus follower, I hope that you learn how Jesus treated people who were differently than him, that were different from him. Um, how he, what he believed about people that were different from him. I hope it shows you a little bit more about what Jesus is like. We may not have actual Samaritans in our life, but there are certain people and certain people's lives and choices that end up in the same category. Right? Some people we avoid because of their reputation. Some people we avoid because they aren't part of our group. They're not a part of our category. They're not we. And we judge these people without really knowing them. And we often conclude that they're not as good as us. As mature followers of Jesus, we need to ask the age-old question, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus treat this person? And we don't have to wonder because we see what he did. We see how he would treat those people. I think Jesus wants to befriend those people that are different from us. Get to know people, reach out to people, whether they're in the we or the they category. He gets to know people and reaches out to them. I think he wants us to do whatever it takes to show people that they have value. They have value in our eyes and in the eyes of God. That's our job. We need to treat people and show them that value. In other words, we need to move people from a category to a conversation. This week, I want you to get to know, actually get to know people, actual people who are in the they category in your mind. People that you would have written off, people that you wouldn't have spoken to because they were in this different, because they had a bad reputation, because they make different choices than you, because they believe a different thing than you. Think about those people. Step out of your comfort zone with purpose and show them their value. Show them they have value in your eyes and that they have value in God's eyes. What we can do, what can we do for others that is like what Jesus did for the Samaritan woman? Ask that question. He he asked for her help. He showed her that she had value. So what can we do to give value to people who the world writes off? What can we do to show people that we value them, that they we believe they have value? When we take time to move people from a category to a conversation, we'll start to see the world through the eyes of they through the eyes of people in in different categories from us. We'll start to understand our differences and we'll learn how to value people instead of distancing ourselves. Ultimately, we're going to start loving people like God loves people. And how does God love people? Well, I'm going to tell you. We're talking about, we're looking at this story and we're we're talking about being like Jesus, treating people like he did. Uh, And that's very important, but it's not the only way to look at this story. Because in this story, it makes way more sense for me to be the Samaritan woman. I'd love to be Jesus in this story, but I identify way more with this hurting, broken, impure woman who'd made some bad choices in her life. What do I have in common with the perfect son of God? (laughs) I'm trying, but I have way more in common with this outcast, this broken, hurting woman. Because I need to be put together again. I need purpose. The same purpose that he gave the Samaritan woman. Jesus did that for her. And he did that for all of mankind as well. And this is what we call the gospel. The main story. Like the actual reason why we're here. The the main story. The reason we do all of this. This is how that story goes. God is love. He created us out of love. He created us to love him. Unfortunately, Um, we tend to make wrong choices and our sin 
divides us from God. From the beginning, we chose to, to make poor choices. We, we read in Genesis about how it is just what we do. It's the pattern we are stuck in that we tend to make bad choices. I do. I, I continue that pattern. As much as I try to do the right thing, I, I often make poor choices. And in those decisions, we call them sin. Missing the mark is another way to put sin. So when we know the right thing and we, we kind of miss it, that's sin. And that sin separates us. It divides us from God. The good news is that that's not where the story ends because Jesus paid for our sin and then he came back to life. We believe that the price for sin, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The price for our sin is death. And that took a bunch of different uh, forms in the Bible. But Jesus came and he died on a cross. And when he did that, he paid the price for all sin. He paid the price for my sin. Every human before and after him, he paid the price for that sin. It's paid. And after three days, we believe that Jesus literally died on a cross. And then three days later, he literally rose from the death. That's, that's one of the reasons we believe that he's the Savior, that he's the Messiah, the Son of God, because he rose from the dead. He paid the price for our sin, and then he came back to life. And the way that we can apply his payment to our sin is that we just need to decide to put our faith in God. It's that easy. All we have to do is say yes and accept that gift of salvation. And when we do that, something really amazing happens and God comes to dwell with you. He he lives in you and the Holy Spirit will help you live for him. The Holy Spirit comes and he helps us live for God. So he doesn't just leave us to fend for ourselves after we make that decision. He helps us get better and then we tend to, we, we try even harder and we have God's help to make better decisions and to live a better life. And that doesn't mean your life's going to be perfect. You may not have a better life at all, but you will be better at life because you have the Holy Spirit helping you. And he leads you into abundant life. We have eternity in heaven after death. We spend eternity with God. And on earth right now, from the moment you say yes to God, you have life abundantly. You have greater life. You have a family of people around you. You have a God that you can depend on. And all you have to do is say yes. And that's the gospel. That's the the main story, the reason we're here. And that's the story that Jesus entrusted to this Samaritan woman. Because he was able to move her from a category to a conversation. As you head into small groups tonight, I want you to start thinking about some actual people. Some actual people that you can think about this way. You can move them from a category to a conversation. Jesus modeled this as a way to show love to people who are different from us, who still need to be shown love, who still need to see that they're valuable. And as you do this, it will make you better and it will make your world bigger. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this huge call to live our lives in in a way that is a little counterintuitive. As much as I'd rather categorize people and put myself in the best category and look down on everyone around me. You've called us something way better. You've called us to help people see their value in you. You've called us to value people and then show people that we value them and then show them that you value them. So God, I pray you help us. Your word says that your Holy Spirit comes to help us make right decisions and whispers in our ear and and is our conscience. And God, I pray that you activate that in people tonight. 
the people that have been categorizing people and looking down on people, that you use that Holy Spirit to whisper in somebody's ear and say, remember? Remember what we just talked about? Remember what God did? Remember how Jesus treated the woman at the well? Help us to see people that way and to remember to show them value and respect and to move people from a category to stop categorizing people and start talking to people and sharing your love with them. God, give us the strength to do that and opportunities to do that this week, God. And I pray you bless our our conversation in our small groups so that we can understand this even better. We love you and we thank you. It's in your precious name we pray. Thanks for listening to this Apex Students podcast. You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We pray that this message has impacted your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little more like Jesus.